For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for kicking off your week with us. This is your Monday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You guys can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. Make sure you're following EthosFantasyBB if you haven't checked it out already. That's where you get all of our new podcast links, different articles, news and notes, any updates we have on the baseball side. It all gets posted there at EthosFantasyBB on Twitter. You get most of the same content over at SportsEthos.com under the MLB tab. Now, I've been saying in these first couple weeks, you get all the same content. You're missing out on the tweets. You get everything but the tweets, right? You get the podcast links and the articles and everything else. But the actual tweets, there's not a really proper way to translate that to the website if you're not on Twitter. And that's how a lot of our writers, including myself, uh, do a lot of our work. So that's why we're encouraging you to go over there to Twitter and drop the follow on all of our writers, really. Uh, but specifically that Ethos Fantasy BB page, because you do get all of it right there. We kind of try and uh, aggregate everything from that particular um, page. So if I post out notes, I'll share them on there. Uh, some of our other writers post out notes or an article or a podcast or whatever it is, it'll all get shared on there. So please make sure you're following if you haven't already. Most of you, I feel like, probably are at this point. We've had a large influx of followers on both of those pages uh, over the last couple of weeks since baseball started. So I really appreciate that. But just a reminder here, like I do at the beginning of every show, uh, just so you make sure you're getting all of our content, go and check out Ethos Fantasy BB. I know I've probably driven you guys up the wall. I drive myself up the wall uh, with how often I say it, but I, I'm trying to get you guys to see as much of our content as possible because the guys are really, really putting out great work. But let's get to the meat and potatoes. We're going to talk news and notes, everything that happened over this past weekend, with one exception I'll talk about in a second. We're going to talk about my notes from last night's games, and then we're going to do two-star pitchers. Now, I'm going to avoid talking about pitchers who have not looked good to this point so far. And that would be your Alec Manoas and your Sandy Alcantara's and those types. The reason is, and I mentioned this last week, is because Wednesday, our good friend Nick Pollock from Pitcher List is going to be joining us. And we're going to go through some of those early outliers. We're going to talk mostly guys who have not looked good, but we're also going to mix in your Pablo Lopez's and your Joe Ryan's and talk about both ends of the spectrum. But that's why I'm kind of avoiding pitching for the most part over the next couple of days. I know I said I'm doing two-start pitchers. But in terms of guys who have gone over the last couple of days or even the last week or so, or even really the whole season that we're kind of concerned about, I want to save those for Nick and pick probably the sharpest pitching mind in the fantasy industry's uh, mind on Wednesday, poorly phrased. But yes, Nick will be here with us on Wednesday afternoon, about 4 or 5 o'clock. That show will be out for you guys, and we're going to talk about all kinds of pitching stuff. But for now, let's start off with maybe not the biggest news, but I think it could it likely is the most fantasy impactful news. Fernando Tatis Jr. is going to be coming back this week. We have known the date for a while. It's April 20th, but it's actually going to be here now uh, this coming Thursday. In the minor leagues, 
it's almost impossible to even believe these numbers. But he's slashing 515, 590, and 1802 with seven homers, 15 RBIs, and two stolen bases in eight games. What the hell is happening with Fernando Tatis in the minor leagues? I know it's the minor leagues, but this is just incredible. Seven homers in eight games, 15 RBIs, a couple steals. He's batting 515. It's just absolutely absurd. Now, in terms of my expectations for Tatis over the rest of the season, he could legitimately finish the year out as the number one overall fantasy player. It's not going to be an easy task considering he's missed the first couple of weeks. Catching up in some of those volume stats might be a bit of a pain for him. But the potential is really there for him to give you, uh, you know, at worst, if he's healthy and he plays the rest of the season, you know, let's call it another, he misses maybe five games randomly here and there, 10 games. I don't think there's any reason why he shouldn't be able to give you a top 25 season absolute worst case scenario. And I do think like the, the best case scenario for Tatis is the number one overall player in fantasy. I think he can still do that. You know, we saw him the last time he was out there it was 130 games. 42 homers and 25 steals, to, and he batted 282. So 130 games is roughly what we're probably going to see out of him this season. You know, he's missed the first, what are we, 16 games into the season? 18, depending on your team, it's like 16 games roughly for most teams at this point. Let's say he does miss another five games. Let's call it, let's just call it 20. It's a nice round number. Then hypothetically, he could be playing 142 games, 140 games, whatever you want to call it. He could easily give you 40 home runs and 25, 30 stolen bases. Considering the way that the, the bases are being stolen this year, I don't think that's it's far-fetched to say that Tatis can give you like a 40-30 season, even though he's missing you know, a good 20, maybe even 25, 30 games by the end of it. <clears throat> There's just that much upside there. And you guys know this generally, but we haven't talked so much about Fernando Tatis. We've kind of just... You know, we talked about him in the preseason. We talked about him when we were talking Padres and we were talking shortstops and we talked about him in outfield ranks to some degree as well. But I feel like he's kind of been off of our minds for the last couple of weeks just because we've had so much stuff to go off of, actual players playing in actual games that a guy like Tatis kind of has been left behind, remarkably, considering how good he is. But this lineup that he's in, the production that we know he is capable of giving us, it's going to be scary. It's going to be truly scary. Now, you're setting weekly lineups this week. My weekly lineup leagues are in the NFBC, and you set hitters in um, twice a week. So you set your hitting lineup on Monday and then again on Friday for the weekend. Pitchers are just once a week. But depending on your format, if you're setting a weekly lineup today, and if it's just, you know, you set it once at the beginning of the week, I'm not sure how all the different format. There's so many different ways to play fantasy at this point. It's impossible to keep up with everybody's specific league settings. But if you do have... Just a one period where you can set batters for this week, then you should probably be sticking Fernando Tatis Jr. in the lineup. You're going to get those last four games of the league. Actually, I should probably just double check here uh, the Padres' schedule, but they should be playing over the weekend. Uh, they'll be playing Thursday. And let me just double check and make sure there's no weird Friday off day or something like that. Tuesday, whether they're, no, they're playing the whole weekend. You know, they've got uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, all against the Diamondbacks. So. I'd be starting him, obviously. Uh, I mean, maybe some of you will be like, eh, I don't know, I'd rather take seven games from somebody else. I, I can understand it, but the way that he has been cooking right now, uh, I, and the, the fact that it is Fernando Tatis Jr. still, I, I'm plugging him into my lineup if it's a one-time setup, your lineup for the week kind of ordeal. Uh, if you set it today and you just are stuck with that until next Monday, I think you're still putting Fernando Tatis Jr. in the lineup. 
Now, there is some small concern that I might have, that I do have. Uh, and again, we've seen the way he's been tearing the cover off the ball in AAA. It's just about how he is going to perform at the major league level again, because he didn't play at all last year, not even a single swing at the major league level. We had the PED stuff, which kind of clouds how we're going to view a player. And I just think it's generally believed that he was only using it so that he could further his recovery. But it's still something that we have to kind of, you know, we have have to see. You never know exactly. It's going to taint him forever. It's going to taint him forever in my mind and in everybody else's mind it should because it's performance-enhancing drugs. Whatever reason you used it for, this is the line I've always had on this, is that, you know, it's going to taint the way people view you. And potentially, coming back from it, it could, you know, taint the way that he performs on the field. Maybe he is not quite as good as he once was. Maybe he, I, I feels crazy to even say it because he's been so good for so long, but maybe he did give himself a little bit of an added boost there. Maybe they don't have the timeline completely correct on when he started using it. I don't know. I am just looking at all possible situations here. Maybe a part of the early career amazingness that we have seen from Tatis has been aided artificially. I don't know that for sure. I have no idea, so don't be you know, coming at me saying on Twitter, oh, Joe's saying Tatis has been cheating for his whole career and he's illegitimate. I have no idea, but I just don't want to come into the season thinking 100%. Like, I think he can still be the number one fantasy player, but there's also a chance that he comes back and he is not the same Tatis we saw before. So I want to look at it from all angles, and that is certainly a potential angle here, that Tatis, and you also have to consider he's had, like, what, four surgeries? Maybe he is not going to be 100% of what we thought he was going to be. That being said, he's still Fernando Tatis Jr. Benefit of the doubt has to be given performance-wise, even if it's not given, you know, background-wise, metabolism, drug-wise. The performance we've seen on the field has been incredible. In the minor leagues, what he's been doing has been breathtaking. His numbers, you look at them and you literally almost pass out what he's been doing. They're incredible. So I'm not really worried, but I do want to – I don't want to just brush over the fact that there are still worries around Tatis. With the injury, with the – you know, the fact that he is kind of a hardhead, you know, he'll do some stupid things, motorcycle accidents and whatnot. And when they asked him last year about, you know, how serious was your motorcycle accident? I believe his response was, which accident? Which one are you talking about? There's been a bunch of them. So uh, there is a bit of knucklehead, you know, as Rob DiPietro would call it, a little bit of meatball syndrome there. Uh, and uh, understandable that he is a young kid and he got a lot of money and maybe he is just, you know, still a little bit stupid. He's only, what is he, 23, 24? He's just turned 24. He's still a little bit stupid, potentially. Ah, maybe. Who knows? You get that kind of money at that age, you might be a little bit reckless. I'm hoping that whatever nonsense was going on before, he has kind of taken care of, that he's fully healed, that there's no more PED bullshit. And even this, the swirl of that around a player of this caliber is really awful at his age. Uh, hopefully, there's no more of that. Hopefully, he's just healthy on the field and able to produce in a incredible Padres lineup. And he should. I mean, I don't even know where they're going to bat him, honestly. Lead off. I think he's probably going to lead off just looking at the lineup. Like, it seems kind of, unless they want to move Grisham down, it's currently constructed, you know, just looking at roster resource. It does change. Lineups change day in and day out. But generally, Grisham 1, Machado 2, Soto 3, Bogarts 4, Cronenworth 5, Matt Carpenter 6, and at that point, okay, he's not batting 6. Absolute lowest, I think we could maybe see him bat as 4th. And even then, I I don't expect that. I think he's probably going to come back and bat leadoff. Maybe they keep Grisham leading off and they move him down to two. And then Machado, three, Soto, four. I could see them doing that. It's a good problem to have. But either way, uh, counting stats should be there. The power and speed should be there. And he's somebody we know can hit 300. So 
as much as there is a cloud of uncertainty to some degree around him, uh, I think we have to trust that he is still going to be as good as what we once thought. Um, but I just didn't want to totally brush over the fact that there is still a little bit of concern with Fernando Tatis, and we shouldn't just be fully expecting brilliance. Even though we're likely going to see brilliance, uh, there is still some reason to be slightly concerned with him. But we spent a lot of time on Tatis. He is somebody I think is, is worthy of spending a lot of time on. But let's move on, and let's talk about Brandon Woodruff. This one is not good. A couple of pitchers we're going to talk about in a row with some not good stuff. And I said I would avoid, you know, Talking pitchers, more so analysis. This is injury stuff uh, with Brandon Woodruff. Grade 2 subscapular strain in his right shoulder. So this is something that he had dealt with last season. Um, I think, I'm not sure if it was the exact same thing, but he said um, if this is something that happened mid-year, uh, I'd probably end up being done for the season. I feel like this is something similar to what he had last year. I can't remember exactly what it was, but he did miss time at the beginning of the year. But that is about as worst-case scenario of a comment as you're going to see from Brandon Woodruff. If this happened mid-season, right before, around that time, I'd probably end up being done for the season. Oh, man. Like, that leads you to having to probably drop him where you don't have IL spots. Uh, it's, it's brutal. I don't want to do it because we know how good Brandon Woodruff is. We know the upside is inc- ridiculous. You know, the upside is the Cy Young winner in the National League. That is, his, that is his ceiling. But at this point, you kind of have to drop him in your deeper leagues where you don't have IL spots. I'm thinking, you know, NFEC leagues in particular. I, I, I don't see how you can hold Brandon Woodruff at this point. This could be something where it might just end up being like he's out till August or, or something like that. Like I have no idea. They haven't given us any definitive timetable. Um, Craig Council said we'll have the doctors re-examine him when we get back home and then hopefully nail down a rehab progression and timeline. Oh, man, it's really bad news. Like If you have IL spots, then sure. I don't have a problem with holding him on the IL. In fact, you probably should if you have IL spots, but... You know, with the way that injuries are coming this year and the way that it looks like he's going to be out for quite a while, I would not fault you for dropping him anywhere. If you have unlimited IL and you don't have to worry about it, then you're not dropping him, yes. Most leagues, you got three IL, maybe four IL spots in Yahoo. I think the standard is three. My leagues typically have four. But even there, like, you know, I'd be hard-pressed to find a league that I'm in where I don't have three or four injured players. So, I it's going to be tricky regardless of your format unless you have just, you know, you can put 20 players on the IL. And those kind of formats, sure, you don't lose anything by holding on to him. But I think we're going to do this same kind of dance with him that we did with, like, Walker Bueller last year where people just hold on and hold on, and then eventually we get some real bad news and people will maybe drop later on. But I, I really don't know how it's all going to play out. But I think he's somebody that is high likelihood of being held on longer than he should just because of the name brand awesomeness of Brandon Woodruff. We know that he is one of the best pitchers in baseball and people will see that and know that and think I can't drop him. He's just, you know, when he comes back, he's going to be that good. Can you afford to take zeros for what's likely going to be 10, 12, 15 weeks? I don't know. I know that a lot of my teams cannot afford to be taking zeros. Some of them, sure. Some of them start off well and you think, okay, you know, let's call it a head-to-head league. Like in my in my home head-to-head ten-team league, I'm, I started off seventeen and three. It's each category. 
and I don't have Brandon Woodruff there, but I'd be more inclined to hold Brandon Woodruff if you do get off to a start like that. If you start off your first two weeks and you're like four and sixteen or something like that, or zero and two, or just you know looking awful, fourteenth in your roto league or something like that, I don't see how you can hold Woodruff. It would be a very it'd be a luxury kind of thing at this point outside of max unlimited kind of IL spots. What he said is super concerning about him not coming back. If it was midseason, he'd just be shut down. So. I do not have much hope for him at this point, holding him in IL leagues, but for the most part, I think that you're probably going to be dropping him. Another guy that is just, uh, it's absolutely brutal that we're going to be dropping him, but I think it is the case here. And pretty much almost cookie-cutter advice, it's Jeffrey Springs. So we talked about this last week, I believe, on Thursday. We knew he was going for an MRI on Friday. And the results are that he is likely to miss a minimum of two months. It's ulnar neuritis, I believe. And from what I understand, it's like a funny bone thing. Uh, you hit your funny bone real hard, and, or not, not hit it real hard. Um, that, that's generally what the feeling is, though. You hit the funny bone hard, you kind of lose feeling in your hand. Uh, that's kind of what Jeffrey Springs is going through right now. Um, it's believed that he's dealing with even more than just a nerve issue, too, potentially. So... There's a chance that he might even need surgery based on the reports that I'm seeing a couple days old now, but they're just speculating. Uh, this is NBC Sports, Sports Edge, uh, Roto World. They are speculating that maybe he does need surgery. Um, we, we don't know 100%. I don't think anyway that there's been anything about him today in the surgery regard, but I'll just take a quick look. I think for the most part, though, it's the exact same thing as Brandon Woodruff. With IL, with unlimited IL, you're holding him because why not? In your leagues where you don't have that kind of luxury, uh, it's awful, but you you just can't do it, right? Jeffrey Springs is coming from a point of being a very good pitcher, and he looks like this year he might be a great great pitcher. Um, but at the same time, he's somebody who is not going to be back probably before the All-Star break. Like uh, That's what it's looking like. And if they're continuing to dig around and see if there's more problems, it might even be longer than that. It's the same thing as Woodruff, essentially. Uh, if you have a bunch of spots on the IL or if your team got off to a crazy start and you can say, okay, you know what, I think I can try and you know wade my way through these waters and you know just stream and hope for the best, that's like assuming there's no IL, then more power to you, you know, because like, that's, that's something that we, we kind of get bogged down in here as well is like I say something, it's not gospel. You know, I, I'm far from the smartest person in this space, I think a lot of people will tell you the same thing, but if you are an, as an individual say, you know, I'm not dropping Jeffrey Springs or Brandon Woodruff. I'm holding them because I know that I can stream pitching in, I can get by. And then later on in the season, I can have them back for my head to head playoffs or something along those lines. If that's what you're thinking, then I'm not going to fault you at all for it. Cause at the end of the day, uh, you know, I get a lot of questions and I love answering questions on Twitter. But these are your teams. If you don't agree with something that I'm saying, if you think, no, I think Jeffrey Springs should be hold, uh, should be held. I think that Woodruff should be held. I don't think I should start Tatis this week. You know, if you disagree with something I'm saying, more power to you because that's where this comes from, this community, is the discourse back and forth for one. But two, if everybody was doing the same thing, then there would be no fantasy baseball. If everybody is just drafting the same players and everybody is doing the same things with their lineups, then that would take away all the fun out of it. So... Of course, this is not something that adds fun into the game is having to deal with the Jeffrey Springs injury, especially in the midst of a breakout. But if you want to hold on to him, if you think you can make your way through it, then do what you can. I personally think it's going to limit you in terms of the way you're able to use bench spots, in terms of your other injuries, in terms of switching players in and out, regardless of your format. 10-team, 15-team, roto, head-to-head points. 
I think it'll limit you using a, a spot like that on a guy who is going to be out, assuming you have no IL. But at the same time, if you think that you can do it, we've seen Springs with some incredible this year. I don't know if he's going to be able to replicate that coming off of elbow problems, going down for a couple months, shutting down entirely. Maybe he doesn't come back the same pitcher. That would be my concern. If I had to choose one or the other to hold, it'd probably be Woodruff. Because we know, even last year, he came back from an arm thing. He was brilliant. We know this multi-year track record of Brandon Woodruff being one of the best pitchers in baseball. So if I had to choose one, I I would choose Woodruff. But I think at this point, they're both probably not going to be, you know, somebody worth holding on to. It sucks. But that's just kind of the nature of what we're doing here. Let's move on because it's, oh, well, we're moving on to something else that's kind of sad here on the list, but let's talk about that as well. Uh, Chris Bubich. Chris Bubich was hailed Prince, Lord, resurrected Jesus himself uh, by the fantasy baseball community after his start against the Giants, where he was nasty. He had nasty numbers. It was six innings, nine strikeouts, no runs. The CSW was like 41% or something. He was nasty. Now, he started this weekend against the Angels. Pitched five innings, allowed five runs on 10 hits, one walk while striking out three batters. Ugh. Not good. Now, I heard a lot of people, I heard tons of people uh, going out there on Twitter, and maybe some of it was tongue-in-cheek. It's hard to tell sometimes. Saying, no, we, we give him another week. Uh, you know, the weather was not good. Or did I, I think I might have said this was against the Angels. Uh, this was against Atlanta. Excuse me. Next start, uh, I believe he is due up to face the Angels, but or he was going to be due up to face the Angels. Um, apologies there. I think I did. I think I did say uh, they were playing Los Angeles, but this one was against Atlanta in Kansas City, and a lot of the talk was that the weather was was impacting him because it was kind of cold and his forearm tightened up, and they were worried about that. Well, he went on the IL. Um, and it, you know, you have to drop him at this point. I think, you know, I, I was advocating for a twelve-team ad of Bubich, but at this point, you know, uh, you try and you try and look for things, right? Okay, maybe it was the weather. Maybe it's a minimum IL stint. He still looked good beforehand. I don't know how much you can really blame the weather for that. He just didn't look good. If anything, you can say, okay, it was the Braves. You know, he faced a very tough team. The Braves got to him. It's understandable. That I would take as an excuse more so than the weather, I think. Now, maybe it was the weather to some degree. But now, anyway, it doesn't even really matter that he is on the 15-day injured list. Um, if you want to hold him, you can. But I think that he was somebody where we were kind of hoping to catch lightning in a bottle. We probably knew in our heart of hearts he wasn't going to be a game-changer, but we saw change at the beginning of the season. We saw you know, pitch mix change, I believe, and we saw increased uh, velo, and he looked really good, and blah, 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 and the stuff plus, and this and that. I just don't think that he is somebody who is talented enough where you can say, yeah, Chris Bubich is worth holding on to through IL stints, especially with the way there's so many injured players at this point. You'd have to be in a really good team position to to hold on to Chris Bubich, I think. Now, if you are somebody who believed in the breakout, if you saw what he was doing, and you're like, no, what? I believe it. You know, 15 day IL stint. He'll come back. He'll be fine. I just can't get around to that line of thinking. I think that he had a really good start. And I said, you know, add him in a 12 teamer. Take a chance on him. Who knows what's going to happen? Maybe it goes very, very well for him. It did not go very well for him. He's injured now. You know, there's the lightning in the bottle has escaped. So, or it was never caught to begin with, essentially. So I don't think that Bubich is worth holding in your deeper leagues and your 15-teamers. Sure, I don't really have a problem with holding him in a deeper format. We'll see what the severity is. Maybe he comes back after a minimum stint and looks good. 
Sure. But I think at this point, you're not going to get hurt by dropping Chris Bubich and going um, for whoever, you know, whatever hot free agent it is. Uh, I think that there's still a likelihood that this year's, who we thought was going to be Chris Bubich, is still out there. So somebody we saw kind of breaking out, and we were like, okay, this is the guy. I don't know that it is Bubich. The guy who likely will actually do that probably hasn't actually done it yet so far. So I think he's probably a drop across all your shallower formats. You want to hold him in 15s or in leagues where you have a bunch of IL spots, then there's no problem with it. Uh, But I don't think that there is so much here to really go off of. Now, he was probably somebody you should have sat against against the Braves. Apologies again for saying uh, the Angels. Because his next start was supposed to be against the Angels. I mixed up my A's there, A's and Angels, or uh, Angels and Braves. Jesus, I'm really getting myself mixed up here. Maybe it was just, you know, the Braves getting to him. I Whatever it is, though, I just don't think that Chris Bubich is really, really worth holding on to through an IL stint. If he was just a bad start against the Braves and there was no IL stint, then I would have a different tune. And I would say, okay, you know, anybody can have a bad start against the Braves. It doesn't mean that you're not actually good. It can happen to anybody. But the injury, the left flexor strain that he's got going on, I'm just really not that interested in holding him. It'd have to be a pretty damn deep uh, deep league, 15 teamers and and beyond. Let's talk Brett Beatty. Brett Beatty finally got the call after looking fantastic in the minors, and he has been he's been added up in a lot of leagues. He's over 50% rostered in Yahoo leagues. No, oh, excuse me, there 51% rostered in Yahoo leagues. He's batting 400 with a 500 on base percentage, with five homers and two steals in only 42 plate appearances in the minors. Now, I think Eduardo Escobar is probably he's going to shift to more of a part-time role. I drafted Eduardo Escobar in a couple of deeper draft and holds. Uh, you know, I wasn't sure what the timeline was going to be for Beatty. I thought that Escobar would still have some value. Now, that pick is looking awful. He has not looked good. Beatty seems to be like he'll be given, you know, the lion's share or at least a good potent, or a good chunk of the potential playing time here, like maybe four out of six days a week, three or four out of six days a week. Now, I added Brett Beatty about a week ago in my Yahoo Home League, which is a 10-teamer, head-to-head categories. I added him up in there, and now I'm looking at you know my team, and I just don't know where exactly I would plug him in. So you know, there's probably a spot for him in, on 10-team rosters. Uh, I just don't know if it's, you know, I'm looking at my roster here, and I have him. I just don't know who I'm going to drop to activate him. Uh, once that move is 100% official, because I think they've they've called him up, but he's still not, you know, he still has that NA minor league tag on him on Yahoo. So we'll have to see. But I think he is probably like a back end 10 team guy, potential, uh, potentially a 10 team guy. I think he's more so a play in 12s and 15s, because I think in 10s, a lot of you probably have your situations fairly squared away at third. Uh, you know, 10, 10 team leagues, there's really. There's really so much going on in the waiver wire that it's not like, you know, there's certain positions where there's obviously going to be weaker, you know, catcher and second, even third to some degree. But when you look at third base this year, the way we have guys like Chapman performing really well and Alec Bohm and Ty France and even Max Muncy's look good, Patrick Wisdom, Yandy Diaz, you know, J.D. Davis has even looked good. Like, there's so many options at third that I wouldn't fault you if you can't immediately find a spot for Beatty. He's probably worth adding, and maybe you sit him on the bench if you can't find a spot. Um, but he's just kind of tricky for me at this point to plug into a 10-team lineup. 12-teamers, I think it's easier, but still, there's a lot of options at third. I think his sweet spot is really 15s. Like, I think in 12s, he'll probably have enough value there, but at the same time, 
We never know how a guy is going to perform as a rookie. I know he got some at-bats last year, but they were not good. 38 at-bats. He had two home runs, but he only had seven hits altogether. He did not look great in his cup of coffee last year. So he is worth an ad, a speculative ad, but I don't think that he is a be-all and end-all league changer for fantasy. I think he's a nice option at third base in a good lineup, but I don't think that he is going to be winning you your fantasy league. He might end up getting dropped by me in this 10-teamer because I just... I'm not 100% sure that I'm going to have a spot to actually plug him in. All right, let's move on to my news and notes from last night. Let's start off with Garrett Mitchell. Technically yesterday afternoon, because most of the games played during the day. But let's start with Garrett Mitchell. He's looked very good playing almost every day for the Brewers. He's 14 of 49, eight runs, three homers, six ribbies in a steal. Now, the strikeout rate is still in the mid-upper 30s, which is way too much, but I think the upside is there for him to give you 20-20 this year. Considering the power we've already seen, the speed we saw last year and throughout the minors, like the speed is there. He's the type of guy to go and add if you still can. Uh, 58% rostered last night when I put out my notes, and this morning he has actually gone down a couple percent after having a two for three day and stealing a base. I don't know, guys. I, I, I really don't understand it. He doesn't hurt you in any category. The potential rewards far outweigh the risks. He's playing most days right in the middle of that lineup. It's not the best lineup in the world, but it's a pretty solid lineup. We've already seen 14 runs in RBIs from him through 49 at-bats. Solid. Totally solid in the outfield. I think that he is somebody that you should be plugging in there in any teams deeper or in any leagues deeper than 10 teams. I think even in a 10, he's probably worthy. Uh, but anything beyond there, 12, he's a must-roster player. Absolute must-roster player. Anything beyond 12. And even in 10s, he's probably somebody that you should be rostering. But 12 and beyond, it's not even close. Like, he is a must-roster must guy. Uh, Jammer Candelario is heating up recently. He's stat line for the year. 19 for 67. Three runs. Or, excuse me, three home runs. Nine runs. Nine RBIs. 15-team leagues, very interesting. Uh, there's a good chance he becomes relevant in shallow formats in the middle of that lineup. I know, again, it's not a great lineup, but when you're batting third, if you're batting in the top third of any major league lineup, you have to at least be looked at for fantasy. No, not necessarily added. You know, you got your Tony Kemp's and whatnot, but if you're consistently batting in the top three or even top four of a major league lineup consistently, uh, I think that you were you are warranted uh, a second look. And with Candelario, he was somebody I was kind of interested in coming into the season. He was very inexpensive. I've met a couple of deeper deeper league teams. And to this point, he's paid off. So he's only 3% rostered in Yahoo. I don't know that I'd necessarily use an ad on him in your shallow leagues, but deeper leagues for sure. And I do think there is a path for him to have 12-team potential or 12-team relevance this season. Brandon Marsh has been really a great surprise. And he's been moving up the Phillies order as well. Uh, you know, this is not something I really expected, but considering their injuries, it makes sense. Earlier in the year, he's batting eighth, he's batting ninth, seventh, sixth, missing a day here and there, whatever. Started the last three games, batting fifth in all of them, and he's got five hits combined in those games. So he's looking very good. He's up to 40% rostered in Yahoo leagues. He's a top 60 player this season so far. Like he's batting 378, two homers, 10 RBIs, a stolen base. I think he's. I mean, I think he's close to a must roster player. I I don't think he is a must roster, but he's close. Like considering the pedigree, considering the lineup, I wouldn't fault you for adding Brandon Marsh in any league at this point. The shallowest of shallow leagues, eights, tens, sure, leave him alone. There's probably enough guys there on your team where you don't have to worry about a Brandon Marsh in that shallow of a league. 
but he could be in line for a little breakout this year, and I don't really want to be missing it. I think Brandon Marsh is somebody that is worth at least taking a shot on, a speculative ad in any league 12 and deeper. Even in a 10, I could make an argument for it, but I think 12 and deeper for sure. Uh, Brandon Marsh is somebody to take a look at. Josh Lowe. Josh Lowe, man. Last year, we were pretty in on him to begin the year. We thought he was going to have a regular role with Tampa, five-category potential. It didn't really pan out last year, but it looks like it is so far this year. He's 14 of 39, eight runs scored, three homers, 10 ribbies, and two stolen bases. Now, he is playing almost exclusively against righties. I think he has five at-bats against lefties this year. But daily change leagues, that's what these kind of players are made for. A guy like Josh Lowe, where you can plug him into the lineup when he is starting, when he is in there against righties, and you can bear the fruits of that production because he has, so far, been really, really good. Now, is he going to be somebody where you plug him into a weekly lineup? I don't know about that just because there is some – if they're playing you know, five righties one week, then yeah. I think you know he'll play most of those games, if not all of them, and he'll probably be worthwhile in that kind of format. If you're looking at you know three righties, three lefties, and a day off, I don't think he's a weekly lineup guy. But daily changes in your standard Yahoo leagues, I think Josh Lowe is somebody who could really make a lot of noise for us this season. Patrick Wisdom, home run in three straight games. As a whole, he's batting 12 for 47, which is 255, which for him is actually really good. 11 runs, 6 homers, and 9 RBIs. 6 home runs already through 47 ABs. Great source of power stats, great eligibility on Yahoo, first, third, and outfield. Now, his average is not going to be pretty. He's going to bat in the low 200s for you, probably 220 to 230 kind of range. 250 would be absolute best-case scenario, I think. Uh, but he should do enough for you to carry 12-team value. Back-end 12-team value, considering the positional eligibility, you know, the power numbers are good. I think that he is a guy that in 12s you can use, at least you know, even as a bench asset. And Maybe it's not your team, the old saying, but he should be on somebody's team uh, in 12-team leagues. Lane Thomas. Lane Thomas, man. I was kind of interested coming into the season. You know, we know there's a bit of pop. We know he's got some speed. And so far this year, 20 for his first 62, which is a 322 average. He's got eight runs, seven RBIs, and a couple of steals. Now, he hasn't stolen a base yet. Or, excuse me, he hasn't hit a home run yet. Um, but we know the upside for the power is you know, maybe 15, maybe even 20, uh, absolute best case. But I think somewhere in the 12 to 15 range to go along with the same number of steals, decent batting average. I think he's a watchless guy in 12s, and I think he's a solid add in anything deeper. If you got a 14-team league, if you got a 12-team league with deep benches or deep rosters, MIs and CIs and five outfielders, then I think he does cut it. You know, there's so many different kinds of formats where I say 12s and one 12-team league might roster 270 players, and another one might roster 450. So it can be completely different based on how big your roster sizes are, but I think 12-teamers, uh, he is somebody where I would be taking a look at him. All right, Gavin Sheets is the last guy we are going to talk about here. And when I say take a look at Lane Thomas, I should specify. Take a look does not necessarily mean add. It just means watch, see if you have a need for that kind of production outfielder, and then potentially uh, a 12-team guy. I think 15s for sure, uh, and just keep an eye on him and anything more shallow uh, than that, for this point anyway. It is tricky because he's on a bad team, but at the top of the order, uh, I do think that Lane Thomas is somebody where he could end up surprising us this year. I'll put it that way. Not saying to you know, must add or anything, but I think he could end up surprising us and you know maybe giving us close to a top 100 fantasy season as a batter. Top 100 batters, not overall. Um, but let's talk Gavin Sheets. Only 1% rostered in Yahoo as of last night when I put this together, and I guess I should take a look to see if anybody added him. Uh, nope, still 1% rostered. He's 9 for 29, you know, 310. He's got a home run, six ribbies. 
I'm nowhere near close to adding Gavin Sheets yet, but we know the power is legit. If he gets more regular playing time, if there is some kind of injury or what have you, uh, then he is somebody where I think might be a little bit interesting. First base and outfield eligible. Deeper leagues is probably where I'm looking at him right now. Um, even there, I'm probably not even adding him in a 15-team league. But just keep an eye on him. If there is some kind of injury problem, if he needs to start playing every day, then I do think that there is you know, probably going to be more value there um, than we may be expecting out of Gavin Sheets. Decent, decent enough lineup where I think he could give you good power and good counting stats. All right, let's talk two start pitchers. And I want to say this because I haven't done it so far yet. Two start pitchers. Uh, everybody, everybody talks two start pitchers. We have our Michael Fisher's article came out yesterday with two start pitchers. Uh, pretty much every major fantasy site in the business puts out a two star pitching article. We don't know what's going to happen Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We barely know what's going to happen today. So when we say two start pitchers, it's likely that these people are getting two starts, specifically if they start on Monday. But you never know. There could be a guy get pushed back. There could be an injury. Somebody gets called up. They go for a bullpen day. Team gets roughed around, and they got to, you know, there's so many different variables that we say two-star pitchers, but it's not always 100% going to be the case. And I had this happen many times. I wrote a two-star pitcher article last year because that's what I was doing last year. I was doing like a fantasy wrap-up where I would just talk about a bunch of stuff, and I was doing some two-star pitchers. There was one week where I wrote about three of them. It was Aaron Savali. Um, I can't remember the other ones now. Three guys supposed to get two starts, and none of them actually ended up getting the two starts because of the way that the schedule worked out. So just a fair warning at the beginning that we are expecting these guys to get two, but they may not always get it. So there are some guys who are in the elite tier who are getting a couple starts. They don't warrant much conversation. Shohei Otani is an interesting one because I don't know if he's ever had a two-start week before, but considering he's pitching Monday, uh, he should be in line for a second start again on Sunday, even though they're going with a two-start rotation. Uh, it should be a Monday and Sunday two-stepper here, which is interesting because we don't usually see that from Otani. Um, but outside of that, not much news um, in terms of him. You're starting him probably as a pitcher. I started him as a batter in a weekly league because I just don't really have that much faith that he will make a second start this week. He probably will, and I'll probably look stupid, but I just put him out there as a batter. Um, but Otani, DeGrom, Corbin Burns, Gosman. Christian Javier, Clayton Kershaw, Logan Webb, Hunter Green. These guys are getting two starts, and you're not really thinking about it that much. They are going to be going out there. Sonny Gray is another one. Uh, Dustin May, Nick Lodolo, Marcus Stroman even. You know, these guys, you're throwing them out there. Lazardo. A lot of guys that aren't worth going into a deeper dive on. A couple of guys that we'll talk about here, though. David Peterson, uh, he gets at the Dodgers and at San Francisco. You know, he's looked pretty good, not as sharp as I may have wanted. Um, but if you're looking for volume, if you're looking to volume your way into strikeouts this week, that could be a really nice opportunity for Peterson there against the Dodgers and San Francisco, both on the road. It's a little bit risky, but I think that he's probably somebody that is worth it, considering the team context, considering the strikeouts you get from him. I think David Peterson's probably worth it. Merrill Kelly, uh, I do not think Merrill Kelly is worth it. We've heard, um, you know, I heard a couple of people talking about him and how they would probably be starting him here. The matchups are brutal. At St. Louis and versus San Diego. Now, there's an argument, and I believe it's uh, our, our friends over at Fangraphs who have made this argument. I don't know if they started it or not. Uh, Paul Spohr and Justin Mason on the Sleeper in the Bus podcast, which is a great show you guys should listen to if you don't. They talked about if you're not going to start a guy when he has two starts, then he shouldn't be on your team. 
I don't agree with that. I agree with 99% of what those guys say, but I don't agree with that. If you have a guy who has two starts and they're both just very tough opponents for a week, you know, you're going to start a guy at the Dodgers and at Coors if they're kind of like, okay, Merrill Kelly, I think, is actually a pretty perfect example of it. He's like a back-end guy who, you know, should he be on your team? Eh, in a 15-teamer, yes. Like, he's a 15-team he's a arm. Uh, 12-teamers, he's probably not. But in a 15-team context where you want to be starting him, I don't know that, you know, this is <clears throat> the, the test for if he should be on your roster or not if you're going to start him in a tough week like this. Like, yes, you're getting two starts from him. You're not going to volume your way to that many strikeouts with Merrill Kelly. We know he is not a guy with a big K rate. 177 Ks in 200 innings last year. So two starts, tough opponents. Does he give you seven, eight strikeouts? Maybe. The win potential against those teams, St. Louis and San Diego against Arizona, fairly low in both of them. I think maybe you get some decent ratios out of him, but that's about it. Maybe. And there's a potential for it to go fairly poorly as well. So I don't know that I'm, I'm – in fact, I'm pretty sure that I'm not going to start Merrill Kelly at St. Louis and versus San Diego while acknowledging that maybe he does well, maybe he's fine, but those matchups scare me. And I don't think there's really much of a need to in a lot of leagues. In weekly settings, you might be tempted to. You see the two starts there, but the opponents really do scare me. And it's the same thing with Dre Jamison. You know, he gets the same two steps, St. Louis and San Diego. Now, I did start Dre Jamison in one league in one 15-team league, and that's a league where I am desperate for pitching stats. I am already kind of at the point, it's a roto league, where it's like, okay, I'm falling behind strikeouts, I'm falling behind victories. I am just, it's kind of almost like a desperation play. In a perfect world, would I be starting Dre Jameson at St. Louis and at home to San Diego? I absolutely would not. But I've kind of been pushed to the point where I kind of have to in that league. It's not been a good start for the pitching stats. I have Dre Jamison. I got him for a song. Picked him up a couple weeks ago because no one was really in on him at that point. I think it was 20 bucks a fab or something out of a $1,000 budget. But as much as I think he belongs on my team, uh, you know, in most cases, I wouldn't start him this week. I just think it's too risky going up against St. Louis and at San, or versus San Diego at home. Um, I now I'm not preach I'm not practicing what I preach there because I did start him, but it's not because I feel super confident. It's more because I just need the volume stats. And if that's your situation where you need the volume, then sure. But I think in a perfect world, we're probably sitting both of the Diamondback pitchers going for two steps this week. Hunter Gaddis kind of interests me a little bit here. Now this is for your for your deeper leagues. And it really just comes down to matchup. Hunter Gaddis has not looked particularly sharp. Now, he looked good against Oakland. He looked bad against Seattle. And he looked bad against the Yankees. His two-step this week, the only reason I even mention his name is because it's at Detroit and versus Miami. So you're getting great matchups. You're getting good ballparks. I think that, you know, you could make an argument for Hunter Gaddis in deeper leagues. The more I think about it, he's probably somebody I should have put in a $1 bid on in a couple of leagues and had that option uh, to start him as a two-starter, because even though I don't think it's going to be amazing, you're getting the potential for, for wins in both of those starts. Like, we know that he is capable of going into the fifth, sixth inning. We saw him do it against Oakland, six innings. The other two starts, he looked bad against bad, or excuse me, he looked bad against good teams in bad matchups. Like, yeah, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. I think with Gaddis, deeper leagues, kind of interesting. As much as it scares me at the same time, in a 15-team uh, league, Weekly lineups, I think that he is somebody that I would be kind of interested in. Now, it, it really dries up. There's not that many options that I think are that appealing. 
I think Hayden Wesneski is somebody that's worth talking about, though. You know, he gets one good and he gets one bad. He gets at Oakland, and then he gets, uh, is it at Los Angeles? No, it's home to Los Angeles. So I'm, I'm still in on Hayden Wesneski. There's been some talk about dropping him. A lot of people are kind of sick of him. He got a bad, He had a bad start against Seattle. Okay, Seattle's a very good team. He had a bad start in Cincinnati, a great American. I'm not ready to give up on him after that. You know, he looked very good last year. I liked what I saw in the spring from him. I liked the analysis I saw around Wes Nesky in terms of his role this year. I think overall, he's pretty underrated still, only 33% rostered in Yahoo leagues. I think the worst case, you can stream him today against Oakland, you know, in a daily league. If you don't want to use him later on against the Dodgers, okay. But even in a weekly league, when you get one great matchup like that, one of them not so good, I think especially when the good ones come in first, you kind of it makes sense to play Wes Nesky. Certainly in a daily changes league, he makes for a really nice stream today against Oakland. Uh, and I think even in a weekly, you could pretty confidently start him there with the Dodgers as the second piece. There's a couple guys that I am not interested in, and a couple more guys. Um, Clark Schmidt, I heard some. I had a couple questions actually on Twitter about should I, people start Clark Schmidt. He's not look good. I worry about his, you know, can he go deep into games uh, at all? I don't know that that's necessarily going to be a strength of his. I I think that we saw Clark Schmidt in the preseason in the spring, and we thought that this was going to be some kind of breakout. But in reality, I don't think it was really justified in us thinking that. I think we were just hoping for the best because he was a Yankee pitcher, and we pushed him up draft boards kind of artificially. For a guy that's mostly been a reliever, you know, he started 12 games at high A in 2019. He's that's the most starts he's ever had at any level, by the way. Uh, you know, he started at the big league level coming into this year, five games. Uh, I think that, you know, maybe we were hoping for a little bit too much out of Clark Schmidt. He has not looked very good. I think he's a drop. He's certainly not somebody that I'm interested in, but I've got a couple questions regarding him because there's a two step, which makes people a little more interested. But he's getting the Angels and he's getting Toronto. I just can't do it. I think that both of those matchups are going to be a little bit too hard are a lot too hard for Clark Schmidt to get himself through. So he is not somebody that I'd recommend there at all. Like, he is a hard, hard no. Chris Flexen is generally the same thing for me there. Very limited upside. Maybe he lucks himself into a win, but you're getting almost no strikeouts. Very tough opponents, too, specifically the Cardinals. But, okay, Milwaukee's not a very tough opponent, but tough enough, especially with Corbin Burns on the other side of the mound. Wind is not going to come easily that day. And then, you know, Later on in the week, Joe or Joe Flaherty, Joe Flaherty, listen to me, Jack Flaherty. That's the SCTV cast member, Joe Flaherty. I don't know if any of you guys watched uh, SCTV back in the day, uh, Second City Television. He was he was American, so a lot of you guys might know him, but he, well known for being in the SCTV, uh, the Canadian side of SCTV. John Candy and Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara. Anyway, uh, mix that up, mix up my Flaherties. That's the second matchup that he gets against Flaherty and the Cardinals. Either way, though, uh, you know, I don't think flexing is going to be much of a play here, regardless of your format, whether it be daily, weekly, whatever it is. Uh, I just can't see him being a, being a guy. That's pretty much it for the two-steppers. You know, if you want to be really ballsy and you want to go for Kyle Freeland, you know, I wouldn't do it. The matchups are okay where he's got Pittsburgh and Philly, but you got to remember he's a Rockies pitcher, so home to Pittsburgh – is not as nice for him as it would be for a lot of people. And then later in the week at Philly. Now, he's done very well so far. 
I do think the upside is fairly limited, but I wouldn't be surprised to see people adding Kyle Freeland today. People have been adding him up in general, um, but let's see. He's up to, holy shit, 65% rostered Kyle Freeland. I think we have we've collectively lost our minds there. That's that's a sign that you should sell high on Kyle Freeland like this second today. Uh, if he does well against Pittsburgh tonight, then you can probably really write yourself a nice ticket for him, um, but not somebody I'd really want to be starting. That's more of a deep league. You know, if you're really confident in Kyle Freeland and he has the two starts, then okay. But for the most part, not really that confident in most of these guys here. Wes Neske, yeah, pretty confident. You know, Dre Jameson, I'm fine to start him, but in a realistic, ideal world, I probably wouldn't want to. And then Hunter Gaddis, I think, in deep leagues actually does kind of interest me a little bit. We'll have to see how this all pans out. Uh, but, guys, that's that's going to pretty much do it for us today. Really appreciate all the support, downloads, and subscriptions, and all the rest of it. Follows on Twitter. Really, truly, uh, it means a lot, so I appreciate all of that support. If you're not already following, check me out at JoeOrico99. At Ethos Fantasy BB as well for all of our new content, podcast articles, and everything else we got going on on the baseball side. But guys, until tomorrow, we will. Yeah, we're just gonna do what we usually do here. I'm trying to think if there's anything special going on tomorrow, but unless something crazy happens uh, with baseball, we're just gonna do what we usually do: news and notes. We're gonna talk pitching streams for Wednesday. We'll talk different, you know, any kind of big things that happen. And we'll get ready to have Nick Pollock here join the show on Wednesday. If you guys got questions for Nick, send them in to myself or to him, sure, uh, at PitcherList on Twitter, at JoeOrico99. Let us know if you got questions about your pitchers who are either struggling or who have done very well to this point. Let us know. But, guys, until tomorrow, I hope you guys have a great evening. Have some time with friends, watch some baseball, spend some time with family, whatever it is you'll be doing. I hope you enjoy it. And until, until tomorrow, guys, have a great night and cheers. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.